Hi. Hi. Hey, everybody. This is Scott and Zach. Uh, Greg is actually in California today. California. California. <laughs> the great state of California. Uh, yeah. He's been, in, he's been in some time with family. He'll actually be back tomorrow and back in town on Sunday. But we're plowing forward, Greg, without you. We, we need you. So we'll see what happens today. Uh, but we, the, the heart, the goal of this podcast, what we do is talking about what happens behind the message. And uh, this week we are continuing on with our series called Clickbait and coming to Noah. But before we get into that, uh, some things happening in the Corner Church world. If you're in our community, I'd love to encourage you to come Sunday afternoon to our 2018 Look Back and our 2019 Vision Looking Forward. Uh, we also have uh, a bunch of things happening in April surrounding Easter and stuff. And I know that seems like forever away, but just mark your calendars for our United Service, our candy grabs, a bunch of things. Those things are coming quickly. Less than 60 days away. Glad you're here. Here we go, Noah. So we have been working with clickbait. Uh, Zach, if you want me to explain clickbait, I, I definitely can do that. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to hear and your so explanation. And so basically, clickbait. Uh, clickbait is like when you have, uh, if you're phishing and uh, phishing for computers. Uh, actually, I, I probably am not equipped to answer sure, that no, question. Yeah, no, when you're actually fishing, <laughs> it's uh, it's this really fun bait that, I mean, it makes this clicking that's noise right, that's right. throughout the water, really attracts When the you're fish. at the bait check. That's what we're going to tell people who ask what clickbait is <laughs> and don't know. So clickbait, if you go to really any given website that has any kind of advertising on it, uh, you'll notice some articles at the bottom of the page that say this one weird trick to lose belly fat forever or here's the one secret credit card companies really don't want you to know. Or, Hang on, I'm, I'm looking those things up right now. Yeah, Scott needs them. <laughs> this one thing casinos don't want you to do but can't stop you from doing. Ooh. Yeah. Then there's usually a picture with a circled something or another zoomed in, but it's not anything really tricking you to get to this web page for more traffic. And we'll talk about Bible stories, clickbait. What were some themes? Maybe we go over these stories in church as kids or even as adults, and we just get the little one-liner, and then we don't really see the whole story. And uh, our clickbait for this week, our clickbait title is, when you find out what happened after the boat was built, your jaw will drop. Incredible. Incredible. Well, the the foundation behind this is that there are dozens of Bible story, narrative stories and scripture that people really tend to know. Yeah. And somewhere there was a clickbait reality, whether it was what what they were exposed to in vacation Bible school or Sunday school or just in pop culture. Uh, there's an awareness to the story. And then the thing that we're truly truly discovering is that when you actually click through and read these stories and dig into it it's uh maybe different than you expect isn't that funny how yeah. it's like so parallel with even that idea yeah. and today as we look at at noah uh and the ark you know that the the clickbait version of this is check out the cute animals and noah built a cute nice little boat and what a great story to uh 
you know, let's make it into a graphic and paint it on your infant's uh, room. Yeah, that's, I mean, our kids' rooms, it's Noah and the boat on our daughter's room. And then our son's room is just uh, a scene of all the people who died in the oh, story. Oh, I, I thought it was, I thought... I thought his room was uh, David and Goliath and the stone was actually entering his skull. Oh, yeah. No, we had that painted. We covered it up. He, mm. he wanted something deeper. Okay, something that's, more good. Meaningful. that's good. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. We have all these Bible stories that we try and kind of make a little bit softer for kids. But the reality of the Bible, it's the Bible. not a kid's story. Uh, as much as I want my kids to understand the Bible, I think there's even an age of to some extent where kids can really step into that well. And I don't want to dumb it down for them in that sense. But I mean, one of the things we don't talk about often is how many people die in this account. And yeah. you can look into that history on the Google. Everybody except for eight, right? Yeah. All except eight and a bunch of animals. A bunch of animals. There's a lot of things that though we can get bogged down and we could go that route. We could talk about how the flood account is one of many of the time. There's all these other flood accounts and the Epic of Gilgamesh being this thing that came even before. But what's the main point of going through these stories? Why are, why are we doing it? Yeah, and bringing this all together is that biblical narrative should give us greater insight into who God is how he relates to us, how we are supposed to relate to him, and how we should relate to each other. And uh, if you read these stories individually, in fact, one of the questions that we're going to start off with this week is asking people to identify a commonly known biblical story. We have some options, but identify a commonly known, specifically Old Testament story. And then basically, if, if that was all you knew about God, what would the result be? Mm. And uh, again, you know, talking about David and Goliath, um, you know, if that was all I knew about God, uh, I would think that God wants me to kill all big people yeah, uh, or throw stones at people. If you get in a fight, don't use swords, just use stones. You know, yep. Or uh, if your brothers don't think you can do it, do it anyway. I mean, killing people. <laughs> it, boy, this could get really dark really quick. But yeah. I guess uh, when I say that, I say that kind of jokingly, but welcome. Welcome to scripture. Yeah. It can get dark really quickly. Yeah. I like how you used uh, the office as uh, really an example. If you are listening right now and you've seen the office, when I say things like Andy uh, hitting, I forget the redhead lady's name, but hitting her with his car. It wasn't uh, Andy. Wait, I thought it was Andy. It was Michael. Michael. Oh, oh, that's right. Michael did hit her. Uh, Andy's running behind so-and-so in a race. The moment where the cat goes through the ceiling, parkour. Um, Kevin trying to say the alphabet, all these things completely out of context. If you've never seen The Office, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And there's some potentially dark things like Dwight spraying someone with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. Oh, that's dangerous. <laughs> if you've seen The Office, you're very familiar with all these moments. And the same context kind of comes up in scripture a lot of times. Yeah, if you... If you hear stories, if you read stories with the absence of context, with, and this is not just uh, often when a, a Christian would say, read the Bible in context. Meredith. Meredith. Her name's Meredith. Yeah, Meredith. Um, if Creed would read, <laughs> <laughs> if, 
it, when you read scripture, sometimes we think context is just like, I read the chapter before and the chapter after. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately and fortunately, that's not actually context. Yeah. Context is the big entire picture. God, what are you doing? How are you relating to these people? Not just in this moment, but how does that connect to what you've done uh, from creation all the way through what is prophesied as being the future of, of your coming back for us? And and if we just dismiss it and we just take one singular moment, um, in fact, in the last uh, couple months, I mean, I've been in a Bible study that's been going through Deuteronomy and it's been recurringly the pain of seeing the Israelites going into the promised land and knowing that there are already people there and they're called to to wipe them out is enough to just make you go, God, who who are, who are you? What are you doing? Uh, don't those people matter? And uh, so if you grab an, a singular moment, we, we can miss miss the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Just like if you would grab, uh, you know, casual day from the office and just saw that clip on its own. Yeah, that was a terrible one to bring up. Yeah, uh, Casual Friday. Uh, but it's it's so important to uh, uh, think about things in context. And today, as we go into Noah, we have to realize that context is is imperative. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty, uh, says, "For no matter how many promises God has made, so God is, and He's makes a promise in in the Genesis eight narrative of of Noah and the ark." They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And and it's important for us to realize that God's promises are not amended by Christ, but are fulfilled through Christ. And that that's where we're really going today. And yeah. I, I think we've alluded to it. Maybe we haven't said it on, on tape yet, but we have uh, over 30 pages of stuff. Yeah. Uh, this It's so easy to walk into a story like this and truly fall into the clickbait thing and think that, oh, this is so easy. We'll just tell the story and that's it. And this goes, this goes a lot. I don't think we would, if we were to read on Sunday, the entire document from top to bottom, I don't don't think we'd fit our time constraints. No. (laughs) It wouldn't work. No. Yeah. And so anyway, just, I want to say like, maybe we can verbalize some of the challenges that are things that we've thrown out that's in the pages that are kind of hitting the floor. Mm. But I know that earlier this week when you and I were talking, actually there was another person with us and I asked him, um, hey, would you read this story to your kids? Uh, Mm. He's got uh, just above toddler, but then a couple of grade school age kids. And uh, he said, kind of. Yeah. And I don't know, what what about you? I mean, how... Do we share, do, would you share this story proudly to not only your kids, but to people in your world as it explains Jesus? I think, yeah, I mean, parts of it in context, I, there's just some points that uh, I feel like I would have to really define well hmm. and give a precursor to. When we talk about all these individual things going on in the story, there's the Nephilim, which... Yeah, let's go there. Yeah, huh? I mean, we don't. We can talk about the Nephilim for an hour, and we still don't really know exactly who they are. Which is or, great. So, in our preparation for this, we you know you open up Genesis chapter six, and the first line is: "So there were angels that thought the daughters of men were beautiful, and they were having children." Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's. Uh... 
Man, Dad, my... what's a nephilim? <laughs> what's a nephilim? Where, where are their babies? Oh man. Uh, so I mean, you go on to this this whole idea that God regretted making humanity. Yeah. Him literally saying, "I regret." He's really saying, "I'm gonna I'm gonna save your family, Noah, and the rest of everyone else is gonna die." Yeah, and 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 I can be endlessly bogged down into the. The idea that what does it mean that God can regret? Yeah. You know, I thought God was perfect and therefore he would never make a mistake. And I think regret is tied to failure or things not turning out as yeah. you planned. All as, these are things as that we experience it as humans. It yeah. for sure is when we regret something. Uh, yeah. And then regret, another thing that just could be a ending point in our looking at the stories that the regret turns to uh, genocide of all humanity minus one family. Mm. Uh, that'll preach, right? Jeepers. God determined that there was only one family, Noah, that was worthy worthy of being preserved. Uh, and he turns to Noah and he says, hey, build me a boat. Now, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, there's a moment where Noah's faith is commended that before the, long before the waters ever came, Noah put his hand to work in building this this ark, and that's a that's beautiful. Thank you, author of Hebrews, for noting that. But also in the midst of this is that they had to make a boat to make it, while everyone else didn't. And uh, what a what a sticking point. The animals showed up. Uh, nothing like a bunch of adults in a room uh, finding an impasse and how and why and where and what happened with all these animals. It's, uh, it could be a sticking point for sure. Water came. It says that the water came from the earth. The water fell. Uh, if you want to do a fun Google search, ask Google where the waters came from and, uh, where did they go afterward? And where did they go afterward? But then there was the genocide of humanity and then God, expresses his promise through a rainbow. It says that he'll never destroy humanity in this way ever again. There is not a promise. It's like uh, a parent saying, uh, we will never, you will, uh, you can have ice cream, but I didn't say tonight. Yeah. You know, it's God saying, uh, I will never destroy humanity in this way ever yeah. again. Yeah. Next time it'll be Godzilla. <laughs> I just, that would be quite a story. I think that we see this thing with God where when we talk about context, we have to kind of zoom out from even our American perspective and hmm. see the the first five books of the Bible as the, the Torah, the really Jewish narrative. We talked through Matthew last year and the year before and really how Jesus was really, really Jewish in a lot of ways. And how these five books are so much a cornerstone of Jewish history and culture and how a lot of it was oral tradition, but paints this picture of God who seems to be moving through time with people. But now when we take the whole context of scripture, we see this picture of God painted that he's outside of time. He's mm. outside. I mean, even Genesis beginning the garden, the creation story talks about the idea of a thousand years being like a day to the Lord and vice versa. And, so while God steps through and says, you know, never again will I destroy humanity like this. This was still a moment in time. But who is this God in the midst of this who's outside of that time? Yeah. 
uh, I don't know what to do with that. That's one of the biggest things that, that comes up for me as we talk this week is outside of time, he makes this promise. And the second Corinthians first really speaks a little bit to it. Uh, what is it pointing to? And I think we walk toward the greater context of scripture in that narrative of who Jesus really is. Um, but yeah, it doesn't make all the details easy. No, they're still there. We, or I have many times thought in my life that a key to becoming a, a better Christian and I've definitely got in me and I've, I've spoken about this a lot in church services and just in life and even just, uh, I know our pastoral team, it's a continual conversation that I have the be God's good little boy syndrome in me. You know, if if I feel like things aren't going well, uh, it's because I'm, I've disappointed God somehow and yeah. I need to try harder or eliminate something from my life or add something to my life. Yeah, It's in me. And I, I know that grace is sufficient, but try harder. I know that grace forgives all sin, but you send it's you're you're now washed up or it's over and, yeah and here is a great moment in genesis chapter again six there's god speaks this regret and this impending judgment noah is this way of grace of preservation of humanity and he wipes clean the slate <clears throat> and in genesis chapter nine or excuse me chapter eight right at the very end of the chapter god uh, well, Noah offers a sacrifice, uh, which, again, it, I think is kind of funny that here he is sacrificing an animal when they're kind of in short supply. <laughs> you better pick the right one, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been such a great pet, but you killed it for everybody. <laughs> one of them's got babies in his belly. <laughs> oh, my Don't pick the wrong one. <laughs> and so he makes this sacrifice, and God was pleased with it, and God looks or feels the sacrifice, he makes that statement. He says, wow, I'll never destroy humanity like this again, even though humanity is inherently evil. And like, it just like explodes in me. What do you, what do you mean? You just <laughs> destroyed everybody so that evil could be destroyed. And now your first words back after this are everybody's still inherently evil. Yeah. And that just, if, if I only grab this moment, again, the importance of context, I just go, God, what are you doing? You've, you've called, you've, you've put into motion this destruction of evil, and at the end of it, you're either failing or something else is going on, because at the end of it, evil still still exists. And we're going to ask the dialogue question, and I don't, I, generally a, a question is not that great if, if we struggle to answer it, but maybe we can talk about it. If, if God's plan was not to eliminate evil, what does the FUD display for us about God? Mm. I'll leave that to you. I'll just sit back. Yeah. I think that's what we need to do on Sundays. This will be the end. <laughs> if people don't give us an answer, that's just it. We're It's over. Mm. There's uh, No, not really. I think it's so interesting because the question uh, it really points to, yeah, what was God's plan on all this? Maybe his plan wasn't to eliminate evil, but the, the reality is he still destroyed evil in a sense. And But he didn't but, succeed, right? Well, yeah, but. but he still says, all right, even though I know from childhood everyone's heart is inclined toward evil. Hmm. Uh, I just, for me, the greater context, we look back to creation, this created value of walking with intimacy with God in the garden. Uh, 
fully unaware of our nakedness and unashamed mm. before him after Adam and Eve and now Noah there's a life happening for people that is completely apart from that created value and even the whole picture of uh, this you know our hearts being inclined toward evil that's a condition of the fall that's not a uh, condition of God's creation of us and but yeah what what to do with that still what does it actually display for us about God well I for me, the thing that, you know, if this message was just for me, uh, I think it, it points, it's, it's, it's an illustration. And I, I hate this idea that illustration was at the cost of millions of people, Tens, uh, hundreds, of hundreds. Millions. Yeah. Who knows? But the illustration of this to me is Scott, you can do something really drastic we, with the hand of God. You can do something really drastic to destroy all evil in you, uh, to become perfect, mm. but you'll still, it's not enough. Yeah. Um, you can destroy all the evil that surrounds you and it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how to fully verbalize that well on a Sunday moment, but like the thing that's been just resonating in me, uh, this week has been, <laughs> Scott, you're working so hard to destroy all the evil that's around you and in you. Yeah. And uh, it's never going to be enough. Yeah. And it, like, it's a turmoil in me, but I'm like, well, what do I have to do? Try harder? Yeah. Do I have to kill harder? And, uh, yeah. um, like this, this narrative, this story is the illustration of the most extreme elimination of evil and it still exists. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Hebrews narrative you bring in is really good. So we have all these things that are going to continue to play out as humans, these natural tendencies, these things that show up. But Hebrews really paints this really amazing picture and how really the people of Israel had hundreds of years of sacrifice and regulation and worship. And year after year, they'd come and offer sacrifices on behalf of themselves for their sin. And we don't have sacrifices in the way that the ancient Israelites did. But I think what I see in my own life is the thousands of times where I've sinned and failed and come to God and offered the sacrifice of words or Trying thoughts. Hard. Like, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I know that this isn't good and I really want to change. I want to be better. So mm. whatever needs to happen so I can be better. Uh, and him continuously after thousands of these sacrifice moments, it's not, it's not, yeah, doing you know what you have to do that. after you've done those thousands of sacrifices, you got to do them again, do them again, keep doing them. Yeah. And so Hebrews draws this picture, you know, he, in Hebrews chapter nine, verses one through eight draws this picture of the sacrificial system. And then this introduction of Jesus is, uh, Jesus suffered as a one-time perfect sacrifice mm-hmm. for the forgiveness of sins. And that's Hebrews 9 and 10 is just this reiteration again of that sacrifice had value, mm-hmm. but it was finite. It fell, fell short, just like this destruction of all evil fell short, falls short. And yeah. the completion of God's plan, this restoration back to what pre-fall was the garden the only way that can happen is not by eliminating all evil or having perfect sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. 
uh, that the only way that's going to be accomplished is through relationship with, with Jesus as the one time mm. perfect sacrifice. He doesn't have to die over and over again. I think if we go back to the, if God's plan was not to eliminate evil question, you know, what is the flood display for us about God? I think it shows that uh, not to minimize that a lot of people died, but God knew that his destruction of everything evil still was not the thing that was going to fix. So yeah. from the get-go. Context. Yeah, context. He knew that when I destroy all of these evil people, that's not even going to be the thing. Even painting pictures for us now thousands of years later that looking back, there is nothing that can bring us to fullness in Christ. If we were to eliminate every source of evil and start over from a clean slate with apart from the sacrifice of Jesus, we would still have evil. Exactly. Moving forward. Yeah. Peter in Acts chapter two, he, this is the day of Pentecost. He stands up and he gives a very succinct message to the people there, um, to the Israelites. And he says, verse 22, you know, fellow Israelites, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracle, miracles, wonders, signs. He, he was shown to be set apart different. Verse 23, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God as a deliberate plan and with foreknowledge. And so God's giving him over. This was a plan from the beginning. And then verse 36 God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so um, Peter is exclaiming that uh, as he talks through, basically, the, it's, a, it's a great read. If you want a synopsis of the biblical narrative, Peter does it right here uh, through Jesus. And he says, God's plan all along was Jesus. And he, even in the midst of the Noah narrative, uh, Jesus was the plan context is yeah is really key what's amazing to me too is we look past acts and peter and the church foundation and we see paul's ministry that he comes from a place of full knowledge he's zealous for hmm. what he believes is god fullness of the law he was a jew among jews he knew everything and yet he talks about how he determines in himself to preach nothing but jesus and yep. jesus crucified Yep. And uh, before Jesus and after Jesus, everything is pointing to this person of Jesus, this plan that was put in place. And without that sacrifice, I think God's just a really twisted being who yeah. wants to inflict pain on people. And uh, it's really different when we incorporate this narrative of Jesus. Uh, if it's foundational, if it's a focal point of scripture, it changes everything. Yeah. A challenge that has to be acknowledged in this is that there were, uh, there's not infinite, but it seems like an infinite number of generations that were pre Jesus. Mm -hmm. And how do I swallow that? How do I swallow that for the, the children that were part of the Noah experience and so on? Yeah. And, uh, at least in my American Western entitled mindset, it's just, I just can't, can't sit very well with that. Yeah. We're going to end with a question that really is foundational to uh, being a, a Christian, a follower of Christ. Um, I hope that people really can struggle through it. And uh, 
at least would say this is something that I need to spend a lot more time thinking about. The question is, if the systematic elimination of bad things in life does not lead to perfect connection to God, so going through life and systematically eliminating all the evil does not lead to perfect connection to God. It's the, it's the Genesis chapter 8 moment where he goes, wow, I'm so glad that you offered this sacrifice and I believe in you, know, even though that humans are inherently evil from birth. So systematic elimination of bad things does not lead to perfect connection to God. How does Jesus bring a person across that line to perfect connection to God? And if I can verbalize that Jesus is key to having right relationship with God, I can say that. Sure. But I quickly go back to in myself, I feel it in me, the systematic elimination of evil really brings connection to God. And Jesus is just this cool icing on the top. Yeah. And uh, I have to really realize that, again, for me this week is that even after the elimination of all evil, evil is still there apart from Jesus. Mm. Yeah. I think we could uh, spend our lives trying to eliminate evil and yeah. we'd, we'd miss it all our life. And it seems too good to be true. Jesus yeah. bringing us across that line of perfection. It's not possible because when we really think about what it means, it's not logical. There's no rationale to it. It just is completely illogical. And I think we're afraid to even believe it sometimes because internally or when we think about other people, we're afraid that that kind of extreme grace is going to give us that license to just live however we want. Hmm. But if we really understand that it's a fully extreme grace, that it is real, it is true, uh, the amount of gratitude I believe that it creates inside of us gives us new life that really just changes our eye. When we know fully that Jesus has brought us across that line, that means we're free from all those things that separated us from him in the first place. And we have union, communion with him, and there's nothing dark in him at all. And uh, for me, my experience has been so much of that is like growing up in church, trying hard for decades is literally decades. Hmm. And that moment of Jesus feeling like I understood he brought me to the place where I was across the line because of what he did. For me, it changed everything. And that's anecdotal, but I, I can't get away from it. Yeah. And it's built on a foundation of faith. Uh, all of these things, these realities uh, are, are not proven to me or in me or through me. Uh, it's, it still is a statement of faith. And, and hopefully we can invite people into a deeper walk in that process. And I've, I've said, I've thought over and over um, that understanding or seeing God's wrath and his judgment in the Old Testament gives a clear picture to the grace that's offered through Jesus. And I really do think that this is one of those greater context moments that seeing God's wrath, his drawing a line against evil and even the destruction of evil, but seeing that a physical destruction of evil will end with evil still existing and that Jesus is a supernatural, a, a truly being a God moment of victory over evil and right relationship with God can be achieved through his one-time sacrifice. And anyway, this is, uh, um, again, a great little child's children's story to share of mass 
human genocide yeah. and and God's uh, ordering of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I hope that this conversation, these thoughts, uh, would challenge you to one read read the story. Uh, it takes about twelve minutes to read Genesis six, seven, eight, nine, uh, and it's worth the read. But then beyond that, the lifelong challenge is to uh, take what we see in Scripture and apply it to the greater context of all Scripture mm-hmm. and uh, wrestle with that. If you find yourself in Minneapolis uh, and you haven't connected with us or with our community, please, we would like to invite you to come and join us on a, a Sunday or to hang out with us. We'd love to get you lunch or coffee at one of our coffee shops, hang out with you. How does Noah get his coffee? Uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. He brews it. <laughs> He brews. He brews. Oh, boy. That's great. (laughs) Uh, But uh, uh, we would love to connect with you and uh, get to know you better. Love for you to get to know us better as well. Uh, we're we're not perfect. We haven't we don't have this all figured out. And our goal in, in doing this podcast is exposing our, our process into it. And we invite you to to join us in that. Yeah. Well, we miss you, Greg. Greg. Greg, come back. Come back. Uh, anyway, have a great day. Love you guys. Yeah. Bye.